Here's something I have noticed over many years. Now, I'm not always glad that it happens this way, but here is something I've noticed over the years. If God teaches me something, he usually, and I'm going to say almost always, very shortly, tests me in it. And that's what I've seen, and that's what I've noticed. If God teaches me something, it's usually a very short amount of time before he tests me in it. Let me give you a couple examples. If I'm studying his word, if I'm reading his word, if I'm praying and, and considering what I'm reading, and he were to teach me about patience, before I can turn around, there'll seem to be a test of my patience. Or if I'm trying to be obedient to the word of God, I want to live according to that. I want to, I want to be obedient, and I'm reading it, and I'm studying it, and he teaches me about forgiveness almost instantly there'll be an opportunity to forgive and there'll they'll be a test in it. And I'll just tell you, usually it's hard and I'll think, oh man, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this right now. Not this one. And there'll be a test that'll, that will follow. Pick the issue. If God teaches me something, sometimes the very same day, he will test me in it. Now, let me just tell you something. I want to be very honest with you that would terrify me if I had not also learned that he is trustworthy, that he is perfect in wisdom, that he is kind, that his way is best, and that it's always for my good. As I'm reading his words, as I'm learning things, the fact that he's going to test me, that would scare me to death if I didn't actually believe it is for my good. He is kind and he's gracious and perfect in wisdom. In our study, I believe, and I have been saying, God is preparing us as the church in the last days by looking at the church in the first days. Do you believe that? Are you ready to stand as the church of Jesus Christ in the last days before his coming? Those imperative days, those important days, are you ready to stand as the church of Jesus Christ in those days? Are you ready for that? What if he tests you in that? Church, I am afraid that we're not ready. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid we're not prepared, and I'm afraid that we're a lot, the church today, that we're a lot, like the Bible says, we're distracted as in the days of Noah, and I'm scared that we're eating and we're drinking and we're giving in marriage and we're living our lives and doing all of the things, and we are unaware of what is just ahead of us. Today in our verses, we're going to see and we're going to study four keys for in-time believers. Four keys for in-time believers. Our message today is entitled, Ready for the Test? Question mark. Ready for the Test? Question mark. Our verses are found in Acts chapter 21. We've moved into the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 14. Ready for the Test? Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, God's Word says this, When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, 
we went aboard and set sail. When we came inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days in, were, there were ended, we left and set and started on our journey. While they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And we, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the, war, the will of the Lord be done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come today, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for a Lord's day that we can come and celebrate a risen Savior that we have today, a, a hope that endures today, that we can come as sinners today and know we have relief in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Lord, I pray that we have embraced that hope. I pray if there's some here that haven't, that today they would turn and they would trust you for their salvation. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word again today, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that we would open our ears and hear, that we wouldn't be caught off guard. And I pray that we would grow today in the instruction of your word. I pray that the church would be equipped today in the hearing of your word. And I pray that all of it would be for your great glory. Lord, you're worthy. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, I'm going to work through all of the verses. There's 14 verses there. I'm going to work through all of the verses. And then after we've worked through the verses, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pull out our four keys for us as end-time believers today. So again, I'll work through the verses. At the end of that, we will come back and we'll pull out our keys for us as end-time believers today. Now, as we begin today, remember the context. Remember, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible tells us in the 20th chapter that God has led him to go there. The Holy Spirit of God has directed him to go there. Now, we also know that he has taken up a collection uh, money that he has raised for the church, the believers that are suffering there in Jerusalem. 
They are under intense persecution. So in all of the towns that he goes to, he is taking up a collection that when he goes, he will deliver. As he goes, also remember, at every stop in every city, God testifies to him. It says the Holy Spirit testifies to him that he himself will be afflicted in Jerusalem. That as he takes this offering to those that are suffering, the Bible says that he himself will be afflicted, that he will suffer in Jerusalem. And yet we see he is boldly going. In the immediately preceding verses, we read that on the way to Jerusalem, he has called all of the pastors from the city of Ephesus. Remember, he spent about three years there preaching the gospel, training them. On his way, he stops and he calls all of the pastors out of the city of Ephesus and he instructs them one last time. He encourages them one last time. After that, he's going to take leave of them. Our last two sermons, our last two messages came out of that event. Really, he, he tells us about pastors, the role of pastors in those verses. And so that's our last two sermons. Let me, let me read chapter 20, verses 36 through 38 to help us set our context. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. He has instructed them. He has prayed with them. Now he is going to take leave of them. They're going to go back to their city, and he's going to continue his journey. That brings us to our verses today. Starting in chapter 21, today beginning in verse 1. Here we go today. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to coast, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Now I want you to notice here in verse 1 it says, we Understand, we've seen this starting to happen a couple of times now. We includes Luke. The author of this account is Luke. The author of, of the book of Acts is Luke. Well, understand, he is with Paul, and so this is his eyewitness record of these events. So it's not another person has told another story. When he says we, Luke is with Paul, and this is his eyewitness record of these events. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to coast, and from and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Verse 2. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Verse 3. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Now, I want you to notice this. As we move through these verses, they are moving along. They are pressing on. They are headed on their journey to Jerusalem. As you read these verses, you see that. They're moving right along. They are pressing on in the journey. Verse 3 says they are in Tyre while the ship unloads and then reloads. 
They're waiting for the trip to resume. And so they've stopped in this city. The ship is being unloaded. It'll be loaded back, and then they will push on from there. And so they're in this city waiting on the trip to resume. All right, verse 4. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Let me read that again. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. While they're waiting, the Bible says they look up the believers there. Now, it is interesting how God works. I want you to see this. Paul has not been to Tyre. Now, there's a lot of cities that he's been to where he's preached the gospel and a church has started there. He has not been to this city. These believers did not come out of his ministry. No, these believers were the believers that were pushed out of Jerusalem when he oversaw Stephen's death. These believers, these that he meets there, they weren't the fruit of his preaching. No, they are the fruit of the suffering of the church in Jerusalem that he led. Remember, he's the instigator of that. He's the cause of that. And so what Saul meant as evil, God used as good, and now Paul visits with these believers. Now think about that. How crazy is that? The reason they're there, they had to leave their home. They had to leave what they knew. They had to leave their family. They had to leave their possessions. The reason they are there is because of the, the suffering that was inflicted at his hands. And now he's visiting with them as believers. Let me tell you something. I think that's awesome. God works when we can't see it. God is faithful when we can't see it. God works where we don't expect it. We would never expect that. And here is the evidence of that. Now in verse 4, it says, These believers are also being told by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Paul will suffer in Jerusalem. And so they are saying, don't go there. Do something else. The Spirit is telling them Paul will suffer there. And so they are saying, do not set foot in Jerusalem. All right, verse 5. <clears throat> when our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. All right, if you recognize this, this is very similar to what happens with the Ephesian pastors. Uh, these believers, they follow them out of town. They have spent this time with them. They follow them out of town. And the Bible says when they get to the beach where the ship is, they kneel down and they pray. Once again, I want you to see this. We saw it last week. The church is a supernatural thing. We need to be sure of that. Don't lose sight of that. The church... It's not a civic club. It's not an organization that the world would put forth. The church is a supernatural thing. 
And the work of the church is a supernatural thing. When we are in the will of God, doing what he's commissioned us to do as a church, it is not a normal endeavor. The work of the church is a supernatural thing. And so they pray. It says they get on their knees in humility, and they are seeking God, and they pray. Now, I want you to see that's a big deal. Let me tell you something today. As a church, when we can do what we are doing, and if we can do what we are doing without sincere prayer, then something's messed up. And I'll just tell you that. If we can do the things that we've set forth to the church to do, and we can do those things, and we can not go to the Lord in sincere prayer, then what we're doing is messed up. Because it is a supernatural thing, and for the second week in a row, they, they bow on their knees, and they seek God in prayer. Listen to me, church. We are on a supernatural mission. We must be a praying people. All right, verse 6. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. Verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. Now here in this city, they find more believers. And the Bible says they spend the day with them. It is another day with like-minded people. It is another day with people whose hope was in Jesus. Their hope is in the gospel. And so when they get to the city, they find the believers and they fellowship with them for the day. Verse 8. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now, verse 8. Remember Philip in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, it's a, little, it's a little time back, he was one of the seven chosen to serve the widows there as the church was starting in Jerusalem. And so that's what it's talking about. He is one of the seven. We read of him there. We also read in chapter 7, chapter 8, he is the one that takes off to go preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We read the account. He, he's traveling along. He finds an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, who is reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he comes alongside and he tells them of Jesus. He leads him to Jesus and he baptizes him. Well, it is that Philip that now lives here. And so when they get there, they go to his house and they stay in his house. Now, I'm going to just tell you something. I love that he is recorded as Philip the evangelist. Now listen, you'll live your days, and I'll tell you, life is short and it is fast, a lot faster than we think it is, and you'll be remembered for something. You'll be remembered for something. You may be remembered for a lot of things. Some folks may remember you as this. Your kids may remember you as that, but you'll be remembered for something. Philip is called the evangelist. Philip the evangelist. Literally, it translates, listen to this. Here's what it literally translates. The good news teller. Philip, the good news teller. That's the most literal translation. The good news teller. Let me read verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. He had four unmarried daughters. That's what that means. 
and God used them as prophetesses. Now, I want to explain this. This was a gift. It wasn't like an apostle that spoke the word of God. This was a gift uh, in the New Testament church where they spoke a message from God. In the context of the New Testament church, a prophet, a prophetess, they spoke a message from God. Usually, it was local in context. It was for that local body. God wanted to give them a message. And so this prophet in the New Testament church, a prophetess, would speak a message, usually local in context. It was his way of speaking to a local church for a local situation. Now, we're going to see that here in a minute. These four daughters did that. Now, here's something, and it's awesome, and it's too awesome I couldn't pass it by. I read this, and here's, here's what I took out of this, and I want to show it to you. Watch this. Philip, the good news teller, had a home so shaped by the good news that he raised four daughters that were used by God as well. Now, I want you to see that. Philip, the good news teller, his home was so grounded on the good news of Jesus Christ that the product of his home, what his home produced, was four daughters that loved the Lord, that trusted the Lord, and could be used by the Lord. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, and I want you to listen in, and I don't want you to miss this, because the world is giving us mixed signals today. Listen very carefully. The best thing that your home can produce would be likewise. Man, the world's telling us a bunch of garbage. Man, the culture's pushing a bunch of stuff. But I want you to hear that today, and I want you to not get mixed signals. I want you to be sure of that. The best thing that your home can produce would be likewise. And I want to tell you today, who cares what job they get? We go around, oh, they got this job. They might not get this job. Listen to me. Who cares what school that they go to? Who cares what school that they get into? Who cares what trophies they accumulate? Who cares what sports they play? The best product of your home will be kids that love the Lord, that know the Lord, that are obedient to the Lord, and are useful to the Lord. Praise the Lord, Philip. Good job, Philip. The product of the good news teller was four daughters that were useful to the glory of the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. That's almost a whole different sermon. Back to this one. Verse 10. <laughs> I might go back to that sermon. I don't know. Verse 10. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus, came down from Judea. Now here in verse 10, here in verse 11, here's where we're going to see what this New Testament prophet, uh, what, what they would do, what their, what their job was. A, a, a word from God to the local church. All right, verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem 
will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Let me read that again. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He takes Paul's belt away from him. He symbolically ties himself up. He ties his own feet in his own hands. And he says, as a prophetic message to them, this is the fate of the owner of this belt. That's what he says. This is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. He is going to be bound in this matter, and he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews and Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. All right, verse 12. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Hearing what Paul already knew, hearing what the church at Ptolemaeus had told them, and now hearing this prophet, they beg him, don't go. Don't go, Paul, don't go. It's crazy. Listen, everybody's telling you, God himself has made it known to you. This isn't a good plan. What's the logic in this? It's crazy. Don't go. It says they beg him, don't go, don't go. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord of Jesus. Listen to Paul's words again. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Verse 14, the word persuaded. He would not, it says, since he would not be persuaded. It's a word in the original language that means convinced, won over. Paul wouldn't be won over. Paul wouldn't be convinced. And so he says, we fell silent. And the ending remark of the section is this, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. Now that's really just a pretty crazy account. That's a pretty strange account. You read that, there's some things in there that are weird. That's a pretty crazy account. Here's the question. I want you to listen. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? If you hadn't looked around, if you hadn't noticed, listen, things are, things are different. And things are changing rapidly. And I want to tell you, we're living in the days truly before Jesus comes again for his church. And I believe, listen, church, we may be eating and drinking and giving in marriage and going to the mall and buying cars and hustling all around. 
But we're living in the drumbeat of the, of, of the drum is, is sounding. Jesus is coming again very soon. So what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? Let's see what it means. Four keys for end-time believers. Four keys for end-time believers. Are you ready for the test? Are you ready to stand in these important days? Folks, listen, we're here. Are you ready for the test? Four keys today for end-time believers. All right, here we go. The first key is this. Man, these are important. Listen very carefully. The first key is this. Understand, avoiding hardship is not the goal. Wow, that's backwards, isn't it? Avoiding hardship is not the goal. Stay with me. Did you notice there seems to be a contradiction in these 14 verses? Stay with me. In one account... And on one hand, in chapter 20, it says the Holy Spirit is leading Paul there. The Holy Spirit, it says he's under the bonds of the Holy Spirit. He's being led by God there. And now it says that these believers, notice, led by the Spirit, tell him, don't go. What is the deal? Did you ever think about that? Is God schizophrenic right here? Are there two messages, one to go and one not to go? Are there two messages that are opposed to each other? What, what's going on here? See this, there is one message from God, and it is a consistent message from God. Watch this, notice this, the consistent message is Paul will suffer in Jerusalem. That's the message, that's the, that's the consistent message. Paul, he will be afflicted in Jerusalem. Go all the way through it, read it. That's the consistent message. He will suffer. He will be afflicted in Jerusalem. So what's the difference? So what's happening here? Watch this. Stay with me. The difference is in the interpretation of the message. Stay with me. See, there's just one message. Paul's going to suffer when he gets there. The difference is in the interpretation of the message. You see, when the believers hear that there is suffering ahead, they, they say, well, hey, skip that. When they hear there's suffering ahead, they say, miss that. That's only logical. You'd be crazy to go on ahead. By all means, there's suffering ahead. That's the message of God. Avoid that. It has to be a warning. There's suffering ahead, so they beg him, do not go. Get this, and we better be sure of it. Listen very carefully. We better be sure of this. The goal is not to avoid hardship. The goal is not to avoid suffering. And we need not be confused. Listen very carefully. The goal is to honor and obey God, even if it comes through suffering. You see, Paul understood. Paul got it. They heard their suffering. They can't say, well, that makes any sense to go into suffering. The goal is not to avoid suffering. It is to honor God even through suffering. Folks, I want to tell you today, the believer today and the church today that has decided to never suffer, they will never be available for the mission of God because when it gets hard, you know what? They're going to be gone. 
And the, and the believer says, you know what? It's all about this and health and wealth and good times and name it and claim it and never have tough things. The believer and the church that have decided to never suffer, they're not going to be available and they're not going to be useful to God because they're going to be missing when times get tough. Man, isn't that our day? The first key is this, understand. Avoiding hardship is not the goal. We, be, we better be ready. I think it's interesting. All through Paul's ministry, he suffers so much that the folks say he must not be on God's mission. And you go read the letters that, that he writes, and over and over again, he has to say, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. The reason they think he's not an apostle is because he's suffering so greatly that a true disciple, a true apostle, wouldn't have to go through such hard things. Today, when it's hard, people start to say, it must not be God's plan. This is too costly. It's too hard. It must not be God's plan. The first key is this, and understand it. Avoiding hardship is not the goal. Avoiding hardships, not the goal. Here's the second key. Understand this. Listen very carefully. Second key is this. Understand the mission set by God does not need the endorsement of man. Woo, listen to that in the end days. The mission set by God does not need the endorsement of people. I want you to notice here in these verses, they are all against Paul. Luke is against Paul. His close companions are against Paul. Do not go. Do not go. This doesn't make any sense. We'll find some other way. Do not do it. They are all opposed to Paul. Friends, I want you to be sure. Listen, we seek godly counsel as Christians. We listen to godly wisdom of others as Christians. But I want you to know, and we better be resolved, when God sets the mission we do not need the endorsement of people. Folks, in these end days, and increasingly so, man, just look at the last couple of weeks, we will stand and we will exist in the minority. And I want to tell you, it's going to get to the point we may even stand by ourselves, we may stand alone. Are you ready for that test? The second key, the mission set by God does not need the endorsement of man. Third key is this, and man is it important. Third key is this, so important, listen very carefully. Listen to this. As believers, we are to encourage each other to serve the will of God. This is important. This is necessary. It's why I believe he puts us in the church. As believers, we are to encourage each other to serve the will of God. Now, be sure, listen to me today. Part of our job is to say to each other, obey God. That's part of our job. We're to come up and say, hey, obey God. At all costs, obey God. If you're trying to figure it out, obey God. Our job is to tell each other, God will bless it. Our job is to tell each other, if you obey God, he'll be glorified in it. Our job is to come and say, you know what? I don't understand this. I don't get this. But I want to tell you, obey God. Listen to me today. Listen very carefully. 
We're to be cheerleaders as Christians telling each other to stay in the will of God. And I want to tell you that's missing today. We're to be cheerleaders telling each other, don't compromise, brother. Don't compromise, sister. Push on, brother. You can do it, sister. Do you know how heavy it is to go alone? Satan does. Why do you think he has a ministry of division? Why do you think he separates us from each other? Why do you think he wants folks to say, somebody said this and they said that and I'll never go back? Why do you think he said, well, I got this going on and that going on. I'm going to the lake all summer. I've got things that are busy and this is my day of rest. I'll not associate with them. He has a ministry of division. Listen to me. We need to come together and we need to say, you can do it. Listen, are you listening to me? You can do it. You can do it. In the power of God, he will enable it. Listen to me, are you listening? It matters if you do it. It matters for your kids. It matters for your grandkids. It matters for our towns. You can do it. Obey God. Listen to me. God will bless it. Man, we're to be cheerleaders of that. We run at each other. You know, we ought to say, you obey God. People think you're trying to steal or something, probably, but listen. We see each other down. Listen, you obey God, sister. He's going to bless it. Oh, it doesn't make sense. You obey God. He's glorified in it. How awesome would it be? I'm being honest. If somebody said, I see you, I see that you're trying, I see that you're working, I see that you're striving, God sees you too, he knows you, he's going to use it, you keep on. Let me tell you what's happening instead. Sadly, and I'm talking about the church. Sadly, we got too many folks to come along and say it's too hard. It's too costly. You're crazy. Calm down. It's okay. Nobody really expects that. You think anybody really expects that? God's a God of grace. You think he's going to hold you to that? Worse than that, we got a lot of folks that come alongside, and I'm talking about today, and they say, you can't do that. And you know what? You'll never make it. And you know what? If you do make it, it's not going to matter anyway. I want you to look at verse 14 with me. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. I I want you to hear me. I'm going to tell you one more time. Listen to me. You can do it. God's going to empower it. God's going to bless it. Listen to me. You can do it. If you're a a father here and you're needing to lead your home as as the force that would point them to Christ, you can do it. If you're a mother and you're raising kids and it's hard and you're pulled every which direction, let me tell you, if you'll do it in obedience to Christ, it's going to be hard. It's going to be counter the world, but you can do it. If you're operating in a business and the world says, you know what, do it some other way. No one cares. Get ahead. You know what? You can do it. You obey God. No one may even know it, but, but he'll be blessed. He'll be glorified. You will be as well. 
Listen to me. Here's the deal today. In the power of God, you can do it. Obey God. He'll bless it. Praise the Lord for that. The third key, as believers, we are to encourage each other to serve the will of God. They got silent and said the will of God be done. We're to encourage each other to serve the will of God. Here's the fourth key. Fourth key is this. As believers, listen to me, this is going to be big. Your courage will be equal to your conviction. Your courage will be equal to your conviction. I want you to remember all of these chapters. Paul's beaten. Guess what? He keeps on going. How how many beatings before you decide, I don't like beatings anymore? He's beaten. He keeps on going. He's run out of town. How many towns are you going to go into? And you're going to say, I'm going to stick my neck out to tell you the good news of a Savior. And they run you out of that town before you say, what? let them have it. Let them have it. Let that town have it. I'm not going in there. He keeps going. He is discouraged. One of the things I read in the New Testament, Paul was discouraged. Oh, so discouraged. Says his friends ran out on him. His, the ones he loved ran out on him. You know what he does? He keeps going. Verse 13, Paul says, I know what is ahead. But here's what he says. I'm not only willing and ready to be bound, I'm willing and ready to die for the name of my Savior, Jesus. Let me ask you the question, why? Is he, what's wrong with him? Why would he do that? Why, good grief, even to die for the name of Jesus, why would you do that? Well, I want to tell you today why. And I want to make it very clear. Why would he do it? Why did he do it? Why, why is that what he tells us today? I want to tell you why. Let me tell you. The why is this. It's because Paul knew his sin. Paul knew his sin. He, he was aware of his sin. He knew how sorry his heart was. He knew the things that he had done. He knows when he runs into those people in Tyree, he knows the reason they're there is because he ran them to there. He knows his sin, and he says, I am the chief of sinners. He knows in his sin, he is doomed. He knows in his sin, he has no chance. He is guilty. He knows his sin. He knows he has no hope in his sin. But he also knows there is a Savior. And there is a Savior that loves him. And there is a Savior that paid his price on Calvary because he died for sinners and he died for sin. And Paul knows it. He knows it. He knows he was placed in a grave. He knows that God in human flesh died for sin. He knows it. And he knows in the power of God that he overcame death and he pays for sin and he stands alive as the victorious king. He knows it. And he knows that by faith in that gospel and by faith in that Savior, that he is saved and he is forgiven and he is right with God and he knows it. And he knows the only hope of people, the only hope of all those people, the only hope they have of ever being right with God is in Jesus. And he knows that by putting faith in Jesus, they're saved. But he also knows anyone outside of Jesus is lost. And when we find Paul He's past deciding. He's past weighing. He doesn't go around saying, if I could get another sign. He doesn't go around saying, if I could get more proof. He knows whom he has believed in, and he knows that he is able. And so he is convinced 
Jesus saves and his courage is exhibited in the extent that he is convinced. Let me tell you this. Why? Because he knew. He knew there's a resurrected Savior. He knew there's peace alone in him. His courage was the equivalent of his conviction. We're about to end. Here's two questions. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know, friend, there's a Savior? Do you know he's paid for your sin at Calvary? Do you know it's remedied there already in him? Do you know if you'll trust him today, he'll save you? No religious things to do. No church to join, no checklist to move across. Do you know there's a Savior that loves you, that's paid your penalty, that died your death, that was put in a grave, that stands alive today, and that by faith in him, you'll be saved? Do you know that? Because that's the truth. If you'll turn to him today, he'll save you today. No, you won't have to wait. You'll walk out of this service forgiven right with God. Do you know that? He'll save you today. Second question is this, and if you know that, listen, are you ready to stand? Are you ready to stand? You see, we have good news as the church of Jesus Christ. We have good news. We have hope today. Are you ready to stand? Your courage will be the equivalent of your conviction. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we praise you today. We thank you today. We have good news. So good, so good that it drove Paul to go tell a lost world about Jesus. May we be the same. There is good news. The, the political systems are doomed. The, the government's not going to help us. No man's going to have an answer. But in Jesus, Lord, we have good news. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for some that are here that don't know that, that are listening to some other means. I pray that today they would trust you. They would set off the guilt and the condemnation, the weight, the shame of their sin. They would receive you in faith, no work of their own. They would receive you in faith. And in that faith and the grace and the power of God, they'd be saved. Let that be the fruit of this day. <clears throat> and then, Lord, I pray for us that have trusted you. Maybe we've become apathetic. Maybe we've started to settle down. I pray, Lord, as we see the signs of the times brewing all around us, that we would again sit up and we would again stand up and we would hold the good news of a forgiving, gracious Savior Jesus high in a lost and dying world. Lord, help us in that. Empower us in that. You tell us you will. And Lord, I pray that the fruit of all of that is that you'd be greatly glorified. Oh, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, I pray you'd be greatly glorified. I pray as we conclude this service, trusting that you've spoken, I pray that you continue to speak, and I pray for decisions to be made today. We turn it over to you. We trust it to you. We ask, Lord, that, that any impediment, anything that would hinder would be removed. And I pray, Lord, that the response is to your glory. I pray that it would be. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to close this service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you the, the thing about preaching the good news of the gospel is there's a decision to be made. 
There's an answer to be had. And that, that, that decision is this. Will you trust Christ or will you not? And we're going to end this service with that decision, that choice. Will you trust Jesus? Will you turn to him as your Savior, as your hope, professing him as Lord, and be saved, or will you not? Continue on in your sin, your shame. Will you not? There's a decision to be made. My prayers in the hearing of the gospel, today you would turn to our Savior, Jesus. We're going to stand in just a moment to sing. If God is speaking to you, you step out, you come on, I'll meet you here. If you need more information, you come. Let's sell it today. If you're sitting here saying, I, I've heard this a million times, I've actually kind of grown numb to it. You come, let's settle it today. Maybe you're here saying, I've heard it for the very first time today. You come, let's settle it today. Peace Jesus gives, he says that, not as the world does. He offers it to you by faith today. Come, let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you never fought in believer's baptism. And you need to come as well in obedience to command, not as part of your salvation, but as a sign signifying what we believe of Jesus. We'll set a date, it'll be a great day of celebration. If that's you, you come as well. It'll be a great day. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well and together we'll serve his name, upholding his word until he comes again. Maybe you want to come and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for the test and where I'm not ready, God, help me be ready. Maybe you want to pray for opportunities today. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. I'm going to ask that we pray for those that are, that are making decisions. I believe it's truly the most important thing that we're going to do today is to respond to the truth of God's preached word. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.